Welcome to Shelter in Place, a podcast about finding daily sanity in a world that feels increasingly insane. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. Before I begin today's episode, I wanted to ask for your help with something. If you listen on iTunes, you've probably seen their list of podcasts designated as COVID-19 essential listening. I've reached out to Apple to ask them to include Shelter in Place on that list, but I need your help. If you could take a moment to go to iTunes, rate Shelter in Place, and write a quick review of what you like about the show, I would be so grateful. A month ago, when sheltering in place was new to all of us, my friend Emily recounted to me a moment that she shared with her daughter Eva. Eva's nine, and I've known her all her life. She's a thoughtful kid, and she doesn't consume a lot of news, just the occasional podcast or segment on public radio when her parents are listening. But that first week of sheltering in place, out of nowhere, Eva asked her mom, what does New York City look like without all the people walking around? They looked up pictures online. Eva said, that's so beautiful. A couple of days later, Emily was biking with her kids in the Berkeley Hills at a place called Inspiration Point. Over 7 million people live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Before COVID-19, at least 120,000 of them were commuting at least three hours a day. As Emily rode beside her kids, she had a crystal clear view of Oakland and Berkeley, the Bay, and beyond that, San Francisco and the Golden Gate Bridge. For as far as she could see, there was no perceptible evidence of cars or buses or people. When they'd seen pictures of New York, Emily's first thought was that Eva's reaction was a little strange. But all of a sudden, looking out of the Bay, she got it. It was beautiful. I've been feeling this too when I'm biking on roads that are closed to cars now, roads I used to avoid because they felt too dangerous with so many vehicles. I felt it on Easter Sunday when I watched Andrea Bocelli perform live from Duomo in Milano while the video panned some of Europe's most famous destinations, all of them empty. It was strange to see those places without the flurry of tourists. It was also beautiful. It's the 50th anniversary of Earth Day today, and so it seems only fitting to spend a moment thinking about how COVID-19 has affected our Earth. In her BBC travel story, Chloe Burge says, When the world stays home, the planet benefits. There's nothing good about the coronavirus, but with a ban on non-essential travel and some countries in lockdown, we're able to witness what happens to the Earth when we're largely absent for the first time. In the early weeks of COVID-19, NASA satellite images of China showed that greenhouse gas emissions had dropped by 25%. Satellite data has shown similar patterns throughout India and Europe. Animals are emerging from the wild. There are dolphins in Sardinia. All over the world, the skies have cleared. I celebrate these changes, but if all that comes out of this time is a brief clearing of the air, if after COVID-19 we just go back to business as usual, then I think we're missing a great opportunity for change. Now, I know what you're thinking. The second I speak the words climate change, we put up our guard. It's a phrase that, like so many things in our world today, has become so politicized that it divides more than it unites. But today, as we celebrate this earth... I want to invite you to step outside of the politics, to think of the earth not as you hear it talked about on the news, 
but as you've experienced it. This earth has given me its California mountain trails, its crystal clear Minnesota lakes, its wildly colorful Filipino coral reefs. Sometimes, even in my own neighborhood, I'm blown away by its beauty, like when I run past a trellis of jasmine and I'm engulfed in this intoxicating cloud of perfume. But for me, the reflection of how I've cared for this earth is a bit uncomfortable. While I do recycle and compost, and our family has just one car, I am far from being Captain Planet. Our car is a gas-guzzling minivan. My husband Nate and I are in a 10-year standoff about whether or not towels and socks should go in the dryer or hang on the line. I still use saran wrap and plastic bags, and though I have had a brief flirtation with cloth diapers, I gave it up for disposables. We live thousands of miles from both our families, which means that once or twice a year, all five of us fly cross-country to see them. And let's not forget that we have three children leaving their carbon footprints in the sand. I love this earth, and yet I often live like my actions don't have consequences. I think this hit home for me most poignantly during our year in Manila when we would often visit friends in Payatas, a Quezon City barrio where 130,000 people were packed in around a mountainous garbage dump. That year, a landslide in the area prompted national legislation that banned open ground dump sites in the Philippines. But while we were there, that mountain of trash and the constant sour sweet smell of garbage was a tangible reminder that all of the plastic we buy and the waste that we produce have to go somewhere and the result isn't pretty. I've seen plastic bags tangled in coral reefs, Bic lighters and coffee stir sticks washed up on beaches. I've seen the photos of the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, a swirl of 1.8 trillion pieces of microplastic that float on the currents between Hawaii and California. That same year in Manila, I experienced the diesel smoke burn in my lungs every time I tried to run. Until we started wearing N95 masks on open-air buses and jeepneys, we were sick with respiratory illnesses constantly. Most of our friends there who didn't have masks were sick all the time. I also remember the pollution headaches and tightness in my lungs when, for a time, the California wildfires made the skies above my home the most polluted ones in the world. The way my newborn baby coughed incessantly for weeks, even after the air had cleared. I remember looking at the air quality index each day of the wildfires, realizing that our worst-case scenario was an everyday reality in places like India, Bangladesh, and China. And this time when we are so concerned about our health, we have a chance to change a public health threat that is even bigger than COVID-19. I care about this earth because I've experienced firsthand the consequences of being careless in our stewardship of it. It's not just about preserving the rainforest or keeping our oceans clean, though I do think those are worthy pursuits. It's about imagining together how much better it could be if we took seriously our role of caring for this planet. In her BBC story titled, How Can We Be Sustainable Post-COVID-19, Chloe Burge says, Just as the planet seems to be taking a breath right now, we've also been offered an opportunity for introspection. She imagines a world where we reconsider the ways that we travel. 
A 2018 study published in Nature Climate Change showed that emissions from tourism added up to 8% of the global total, with flying making up the largest share of this. Chloe goes on to say, When COVID-19 is behind us, we need to once again look outside ourselves and take individual action for the good of the planet. Just as coronavirus has forced our lives to slow down, we should consider a slower, more thoughtful approach to travel. There's an authentic connection that comes with a place when we take the time to understand its people, culture, and natural beauty in a meaningful way. This can't be achieved with superficial port-to-port itineraries. We could also do without the environmental wreckage that a lot of large cruise ships leave in their wake, or by hopping around to a legion of country in two weeks. It might mean taking one longer trip per year instead of packing in five or six shorter ones, which would drastically reduce our carbon footprint. I read about another BBC writer who gave up flying for a year and was delighted to discover how much richer her travel experience became once she started taking a train from Boston to San Francisco. Train travel produces a tiny fraction of the emissions that airplanes and cars do. A 2018 study led by Corinne Moser at Zurich University of Applied Sciences in Switzerland found that when people were unable to drive and were given free e-bike access instead, they drove much less, even when they got their car back. Another study at Kyoto University in Japan found that when a motorway closed, forcing drivers to use public transit, people who had formerly been committed drivers traveled by public transport more frequently, even after the roadway was opened. Yesterday, NPR's shortwave podcast put out their own Earth Day episode. It's short and sweet, and it's wonderful. I'll include it in my show notes for today, and I'm quoting it with permission from shortwave's Emily Kwong, who would like to wish you a happy Earth Day. In the episode, two climate change experts, Christiana Figueres and Tom Rivet-Karnak, share three things that we can all do to care for our Earth better after COVID-19 starting with getting educated about what's at stake and being real about the consequences of our everyday actions. I'm already thinking about my consumption of those disposable disinfectant wipes that have been such a hot item lately, about all of those plastic gloves and disposable masks I keep seeing all over grocery store parking lots. The second thing we can do is to come up with a plan to reduce our household emissions by 50% in the next 10 years. I found this call to action overwhelming, but I'm slowly adjusting to the idea. Tom says we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year and underestimate what we can do in 10. So think about this as a 10-year journey. I've been trying to look at each area of my life to see if I can make gradual adjustments to be a better steward of this earth. One of the changes my family and I made recently is to eat less meat and more plant-based protein. I will be the first to admit that this is really hard for me. I'm never going to be that person who's nuts about vegetables. As a distance runner who's always looking for good sources of heme iron and the granddaughter of a cattle farmer, my love for red meat runs deep. We still eat meat, but shifting from eating it most nights to eating only once a week or so has cut our grocery budget drastically, and it's made these times of eating meat feel really special a mini celebration. The third change we can make is to do more with less. 
COVID-19 has forced our family to do this. We hardly ever get in our car. We're biking and walking more now than ever. I'm trying to let go of my obsessive need for cleanliness so we're not doing so much laundry. The sheets are getting washed every other week instead of every week. The clothes we used to toss in the wash after only one use are now getting three or four. Instead of buying our kids new bikes or toys, we're reaching out to neighbors to see if anyone has something they'd like to sell or give away. I know I'm not going to change the world with these adjustments, but doing them has made me more mindful of how my everyday actions can hurt or help the planet. It's made me less tolerant of political leaders and power structures that aren't caring for our earth well. I realize that as hard as these changes are on the micro level, they're much harder when you look at the macro level. There are whole industries built upon our dependence on fossil fuels. When Emily told me her story about her daughter Eva yesterday, she also told me about a recent conversation she and her husband had with their extended family in Alberta, Canada. Alberta is one of the places in this world where the local economy is built on the oil industry. The kinds of changes that need to happen to care for our planet well are going to come at a huge cost. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to require some of us to not just change our habits, but our livelihood. I still remember when, at 10 years old, my teacher showed our class a video of a solar-powered car. I've searched for evidence of this memory and I can't find it, but in my memory, the people building the car were in Australia, and the vehicle looked like a small land-bound spaceship. Back then, the idea of a car that didn't run on gas seemed as improbable as a time machine. Even before I understood the implications of our dependence on fossil fuels, a car that ran off sunshine seemed like magic. It made me feel hopeful that the world I was growing up in was a place of possibility. Today, I want to invite you to conjure up with me some of that childlike hope and vision. I want to invite you to imagine with me a world where all over, even big cities, have clear skies and clean air. A world defined not by political lines, but by the united desire to enjoy our Earth's beauty. I know, it sounds idealistic. It is idealistic. But we're in a moment when all kinds of things are on the table that never could have been before. This is one of those things. As I was researching and writing this show, I came across so many great resources, including some that had practical suggestions for more sustainable living. I've compiled them for you, and I'm including them in my show notes today. On this Earth Day, I hope you'll check them out. Happy Earth Day, friends. Let's celebrate by dreaming up ways that we can care better for this big, beautiful world. Before I close today, I want to thank Elliot Davis, who reached out to me this week and asked me if he could make a donation to Shelter in Place. Thank you, Elliot, for supporting this work, even during these challenging times. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Shelter in Place, I would love it if you could rate it and review it wherever you listen, share it with a friend, and subscribe. Shelter in Place is sponsored by Brick and Mortar and Delta Wines. Even in these tough times, this family business has stepped up to be the first sponsor of Shelter in Place. When you order wine from brickandmortarwines.com or winesforchange.com, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code SHELTER. If you order six or more bottles from Brick and Mortar, 
You'll also get free shipping and overnight shipping in California. The Shelter in Place music was composed by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions, and the Shelter in Place artwork was created by Sarah Edgel. As always, you can find links to the things I mentioned in each episode in my show notes at laurajoycedavis.com. Until tomorrow, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis.